you want to bring in? Huh? I said it's being recorded. Yeah, do you want to bring us in since you're full of energy already? Sure, why not? Good man, good man. Okay, okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me just check one thing. Okay. Ready? I was born ready. <laughs> All right, I guess now I'm ready. Welcome to the Boombasticast with the one and only Alexander Hawk and the great and only Matthew Fisher. Well, today we are going to be doing a check in the gate with the one and only John R. Cherry III. Yes, sir. Now, some people might be saying, who's John R. Cherry III? And he is the director of, most notably, the Ernest franchise. And for those of you like us who grew up in the 80s, the 90s, Ernest was kind of, uh, kind of like our, our, you know, Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin. I mean, he talked, he, he had lines, but the physical comedy that um that mr uh mr ernest mr ernest gave us mr ernest p Worrell. yes yes and also i uh, it has been said and i think this is the best way to ex- explain mr jim Varney, who plays ernest p Worrell, uh kind of rise is he would be probably considered the very first viral star. Yeah. I think that is a very good way of, of pretty much uh, a, a explanation of his rise because he set out doing commercials and John Cherry uh, did these commercials and it was always a point of view shot of Vern. Vern you never got to see, but you always saw... So uh, Ernest, who was the annoying neighbor who would always be coming over and causing mayhem and, and doing these crazy shenanigans. And every uh, commercial, he was, he was promoting one thing or another. And, and the fact was, these commercials got very popular to the point where Jim Varney uh, became synonymous with his character, Ernest P. Worrell, to the point that People were pretty much begging for Ernest movies, a, a movie to focus on this crazy eccentric character that was created just to, you know, sell products. Yes, uh, you know, uh, we should probably note because you know it was very under the radar. Not a lot of people were public uh, publicizing this, but we unfortunately lost Mister Cherry uh, in May, May eighth. You know what I mean? And I didn't hear about it at first when it happened either. Uh, Bill Coyne told me, who I think Bill Coyne's a dude who when, whenever people, there, we, have, we have a, you know, I believe the late great Joe Jaffo, our close friend, um, and, and one of the co-stars in the DJ Stan the Man film, when he passed away, I think Billy Coyne was the dude that hit me with that. 
So, uh, and I want to say he hit me with somebody else too, uh, first off. But Billy always finds those deep dives and John Cherry shouldn't really have been a deep dive, man. I think that the films that he did were super fucking influential, if not just entertaining to, um, millions of maybe billions of people. Um, you know what I mean? There's, you know, there's a certain age that people get to where there's like, it's the earnest years were in the, you know, they, they know Ernest. You go, you know, Ernest, they go, fuck yeah, I know Ernest, dude. How do you not know Ernest? And then newer, some of the newer kids don't really know much about him unless they kind of had cooler parents or older, older siblings or something. But yes, it was very sad to hear that John Cherry passed away. Um, as the, the Hogman was saying, you know, him and Jim Varney, got their start in Tennessee doing the um, doing the uh, commercials and such. He wrote a book, uh, The Keeper of the Clown, not uh, not too, you know, uh, like 10 years ago or so. So, yeah, I guess so kind of kind of distance, uh, which I own. I got a nice signed copy of, which is cool. Um, but uh, they got their start doing those commercials. And, yeah, they then eventually they became so big that everybody was hitting them up to, to have him be like the face of their commercial and uh, their, their product. And the commercials were huge. You know what I mean? A uh, real big deal. Like he, it was a big deal for us, but like being in Tennessee, um, it was like rock star shit. Like they really were like rock star status in their area. Um, I remember I worked with a construction worker uh, when I got out of high school doing some carpentry stuff Da, that was his name, Da. Uh, and he came from down Tennessee. And uh he said he told me that he was at his friend he was at his friend's house once and his friend's neighbor invited them over for a big party. Uh and it was his Tennessee mansion, you know, uh and then he knew, and he told me go over there and he said it was Ernest, it was Jim Varney's house, he was throwing a big party, and he said, uh that he said every room that you went on in this big house had a TV in it. You know, and every TV was something Jim Varney playing. And he said that they, uh, they went upstairs and, uh, there were, you know, there was drugs going around. You know, it's no secret that Jim Varney liked candy, the kind that goes up your nose. And, um, much like Buddy Buttafuoco, I would give him a shout out. He's in rehabilitation at this moment right now, I think. So we're going to send him, send him our love back and forth, you know. Um, but he, he said, you know, downstairs, everybody was doing this coke. And he said that him and his buddy went up with Jimmy into this big master bedroom. And he said up in this master bedroom, there was this big bowl of cocaine. He said he's never seen that much cocaine in his life. And that supposedly was the good cocaine where the cool people got to go do cocaine and all like downstairs was like the shitty cocaine. And you hear that story now and you go, wow, don't, I'm not trying to throw shade on the Varn man because he's the man. He's the coolest. Um, and it was a different time. You know what I mean? Cocaine was looked at more like it was just drinking, like, like you were going upstairs to take shots. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not a cocaine user. If Jim Varney offered me a line of cocaine, I would probably have to take it. I'd probably have to risk it. You know, I'm a heavy man. The Hawkman's a heavy man. We're the heavy boys. Yeah. Our hip, yeah that's our yeah. hip-hop group. Yeah, um, we, we take one bump of those. We have to worry about massive hockey. I don't suggest Hawkman doing cocaine either, or really anybody, um, especially nowadays with fentanyl cut up in it and shit. Um, but if Jim Varney offered me a line of cocaine, 
cocaine, I'd have to do it. We'll have to do an episode later in the future of um, all you know, all the all the all, all the cool folks out there that did these drugs that you don't do, and would you do one if offered? You know what I mean? Now I wouldn't be doing shooting no dope in my arm if Kurt Cobain offered. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be down with that. Uh, but well, yeah, yeah. But if Kurt Cobain is offering you to shoot up, um, you're already dead, man. Because he's already crossed over. Well, Jim Varney's dead too. In case you didn't know, I know I didn't announce that at the opening of the show, but Jim's been been gone for like fifteen, twenty years now. Rest in peace. Um, so, the, so to do drugs with either of those people, you would have to be dead. So, in the in the living form, it'd be the equivalent to like, you know, like if you if, if you could smoke weed with uh, Cheech and Chong, you know, like Hawkman over here doesn't really partake in marijuana leaves. But I feel like if we were in a room with Cheech and Chong and they lit up a joint and handed it to him, the Hawkman would take and inhale, of course. Well, yeah, because that's like the law. Or Snoop Dogg or Willie Nelson. You know, there's just certain people that you would do things with. Cocaine, like um, <coughs> before Charlie Sheen, before Charlie, you'd be afraid of using the same straw as Charlie Sheen. Before those days... If Charlie Sheen was at a party and pulled out cocaine, I'd possibly maybe do a line of cocaine with Charlie Sheen for the story. But <laughs> that, that cocaine could kill you before fentanyl came into the picture because of the heavy doses he needed to keep, keep his tiger blood down. Yeah. That's what he does the cocaine to keep his tiger blood at bay. You know what I mean? So it doesn't you know, make him eat people in the streets, <laughs> which we can all appreciate and should be thankful to him for. Um, yeah, the jo- John Cherry was a great loss. You know, those earnest films, we, we, as as people will know, as we dive deeper in, we're going to get a little little more vast in his body of work. But those earnest films are heavyweight entertainment um, on on our, our, our generation, I'd say definitely, and probably the one before and after. But, yeah, it's uh, iconic. I was very surprised to hear... Um, that Mr. Cherry didn't get uh, mentioned like he should have. Like I was telling the Hawkman, I actually, me and John Cherry were in contact and we were going to do a a project together, which I know is crazy to say now. But uh, yeah, in 2011, I remember I reached out to John Cherry because I wanted to do a documentary on the whole Ernest franchise and the impact that it kind of had on, you know, our generation and others, you know, the way we're going to show them love today. And uh, super difficult to get a hold of. Um, I know, you know, I was I was fucking a scavenger dude for trying to get a hold of folks. You, when you really want to get, it goes with the podcast nowadays stuff. You really want to get somebody. Sometimes you got to do a deep dive. And I remember I did a super deep dive for John Cherry, where I got, I, I went and looked and seen what he was doing recently, and uh, I contacted people on that project. Uh, and I got a hold of a dude named Denton Rose, which was a cool dude. I haven't talked to him in some time, but he was a good dude. And uh, he got me in contact with John Cherry and, um, you know, contacted him up. And, you know, I, you know, reached out to emailed him first, got his number, called him up. You know, it was, he was, he was kind of a, it, the first conversation with him was really weird. It was almost like it was secretive, like he wasn't supposed to be talking about film. Like his wife or something was like told him he needed to retire from making film, and he was like hiding in a closet, like <laughs> briefly talking about. It. And he was like, I, I'll, "I'll call you. I'll call you back later. I'll, I'll call you back." 
That was this, one of those. This, that was this, the first. Is, this is like a mistress. You're my that, mistress. It kind of was. It was funny. That was, and that was the first time we talked. And then there was many other combos on the phone. But yeah, the plan was to do a doc. And around that time was when he was writing the book, The Keeper of the Clown. Um, and I was kind of, and I was pitching the doc to him to be like a companion piece with that a little bit. And at that time, there was talks of doing another Ernest type film. It was going to be the son of Ernest. It wasn't going to, you know, Jim Varney was already passed at that point, but there was like heavy talks of doing son of Ernest and his book was about to come out. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it was, we started to gather um, people because what we were going to do is it was going to be, you know, talking about the whole Ernest deal. You know, we were going to capture fans point of view. We were going to bring in old, you know, cast and crew from, you know, the films, it was going to be a real cool deal. Um, and then the, the, the book came out and then there wasn't really much movement on it. I, I think the, I don't know. I got, he, he, I got a signed copy of the book, which is nice. I got that keepsake. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's in a couple years after that, like I tried to, when we, when I started doing those, those like bigger documentaries on the films, like the police Academy, doc and the night of the demons doc i reached out to those dudes and because uh, i was gonna do uh i was thinking about doing i was thinking about doing bringing back the the earnest idea because you know they were they were moving and shaking and getting shit done in the documentary world so i thought it'd be a cool thing to pitch to them and i talked to them about the idea of like bringing bringing like a theme like that to them they were gung-ho for it so I kind of got the okay for them that they were open to it. And then I went to go reach out to Cherry to be like, okay, well, I'd still love to do this. And, um, you know, I got the, this group right here that are kind of doing, doing big things with the, with docs right now would be kind of a good deal for all, all three of us to kind of link up and do this. Um, but, uh, I don't think he was really feeling that. I know that he was sick that he died from a sickness. So, it's possible that that like already kind of set in a little bit at that point. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, much with anybody in their career, I think they look back at certain projects that didn't happen that started to like happen, but like just never kind of happened fully. And that's one of the ones that I kind of always wish uh, blossomed out. You know what I mean? Like it, uh, there was there was actual work being done on it, and for whatever reason, it just didn't. It was early DJ. It was uh, it was before DJ. You know what I mean? Uh, and then I think DJ came about, and the plan was to kind of do it after DJ. And as anybody that is close to the heart knows, DJ took a little while to do. And by the time it came back around, I don't know. Maybe he Cole got cold to the idea or something. He was like, I. I stayed up with them and it was cool, but I think that it just either he, he won't, he did, he thought it might hurt book sales or whatever. I don't know whatever the deal for not really pursuing further at that point, you know, it could have just been a little bit of a distance, but yeah, so that didn't happen. And then when I came back with that other group, I was hoping to kind of kick it up because it's definitely something that needs to be, I said, there, there's people doing a documentary now, I think, or they were trying to find funds for it or whatever. Um, I think that's based off of the Jim Varney book. I think there was a book called the importance of being earnest, I believe, which is a great name. Um, I think they're using that for the dog. And, uh, but 
it's a story that needs to be told because even more so now that John's passed, that it's like there's new gener. Like I told him in my first pitch to him, I was like, "There's it, it molded a generation, and there's more generations that need to know about Ernest." So that's why we want to do this doc, and he was all gung ho for it. And uh, even if I don't get to do it, I, it's good that somebody is because, like I said, it's needed for more generations. The thing and, with and- Ernest. Ernest and, it's, is, and it's important to know about yeah. Ernest P. Ward. It's pure. Ernest yeah. is pure. It's not too, it's like there's little hints in there of like dark humor, but like for the most part, it's pretty pure PG. It's, it's dummy. It's like dummy comedy, but like it's kitty comedy. You know what I mean? You're not getting no secret agendas pushed to you. You know, like nowadays you would, you're just getting straight up for what it is like kid comedy you know what i mean um and it, it, we can't you were raised on that shit so we, we got love for it for sure but um so yeah we wanted to give uh the great john cherry a nice checking the gate episode and uh we're doing that for y'all today uh today uh now you know the chairman's known for doing uh, things outside of the earnest world not too far uh, or not too many, rather, outside of the earnest world. Um, but definitely, uh, yeah. John was a great dude, too, by the way. Super fucking cool dude. Talking to him on the phone, he, he was, his, his sense of humor was very unique. And it's in the, like, the sense of humor that's in those films. You know, that real kind of kitty humor is kind of how John was. Uh, very sad stuff, very unfortunate. You know, I mean, rest in peace again. But uh, without further ado, do you want to say anything else before we pop into our uh, top ten John Cherry films, Alexander the Hot? Um, not really. Other than uh, the fact is, as I brought up earlier, what I loved about the uh, Ernest movies, which is something we're going to be delving into, yeah. is the fact that it harkened back to a lot of the. You know, the slapstick, the, you know, silent movie era shenanigans. Of course, updated for the modern audience of the time, you know, and and, and geared towards, you know, family friendly, uh, which, you know, uh, the silent films were. And of course, in this case, you know, he had had the jokes and, and him playing different characters and all that. But what I think really made him timeless was the fact of, of the stunts and the slapstick, because even if you could not understand what he was saying, or if there was like a language barrier, you still could enjoy it. You still could just watch it with the... You could watch it without any of the music, any of the, the words or dialogue, and still laugh your ass off. Right. For sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so let's get on. All right. You want to start or you want me to start? All right. I'll start. Okay. Uh, we're starting from number 10. Number 10 on my list uh, has to be actually uh, Ernest Goes to Africa. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was enjoyable, but it was definitely obvious that they were Running out of ideas. Um, a lot of the jokes, I mean, definitely would not fly today. 
um, especially <laughs> in the PC culture that we live in. Um, and of course, I mean, when you watch it at first, you don't, especially as a kid, you didn't think of one way or the other, but that's one of the reasons why it's on the bottom of my list is the fact that there is some, how should we say, insensitive jokes and humor in there that definitely, uh, would not fly. And out of all the movies, I think that's the only one I would put in that category. Everything else pretty much you can still watch today and, and, and still have fun with it. But uh, Ernest Goes to Africa kind of, you know, uh, pushed the envelope in the wrong way, I thought. Well, I hear you. I'm, uh, I'm kind of with you. It's definitely in the later half of – I have it on my list a little further up. I, all the Ernest movies mean a lot to me. That's why even the – and this one was more like um, we were probably pushing – early teen years. This really, this is almost yeah. like, so like I, in my early teen, like dark comedy was heavy. You know what I mean? In my early, uh, it still is heavy, but it's like, I remember kind of really coming in my teen years is probably when, um, I was getting into more, you know, like, uh, R rated comedy and stuff like that. So like when, you know, I always laugh at the stuff that they do that's really risque. It, when it's not politi- politically correct now, like, that makes me laugh even harder at it. It's not hurting anybody. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, any real hate or people being hurt is awful. But, you know, back in the day when they'd poke fun at somebody or whatever, and I think, I think it's more of a, yeah, there is a victim to it, but I think that everybody can kind of be in on it and laugh. And the victim should really only be the person on the screen getting it, and they're getting it for fakesies because it's a film anyways. So everybody else, I think everybody else, should be able to kind of laugh at that person on the screen. It's not a real person, you know what I mean? It's not even a real situation, but it's something that makes you laugh, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, it's a little further on my list, but definitely I'll agree with you that it's in the later rung. If you, it doesn't get the, uh, let's just say in the earnest, it doesn't have a gold record <laughs> in the earnest uh, vault. You know what I mean? Um, my number 10 is uh, a film that I feel like is probably going to be a lot further up on your your uh, list. Because I know how uh, I think close to you, you're a big fan of these two gentlemen, Laurel and Hardy. Not the biggest of fan, you know. You're you're more of a fan of um, what's the name? The other ones, the the other two. Uh, Abigail Costello. Yeah, I know you're more of an Abigail Costello fan, but well, I mean, I mean, as as I said before, I mean, uh, as you can guess, I mean, with my comments about silent film, I I like to watch all kind of uh, decades of film, and yeah. I like to do some deep dives. I've in, I always enjoy Laurel and Hardy. I mean, uh, I would say I enjoy them more than the Three Stooges, uh, less than Abba Costello. Hmm? I would never go that far. I wouldn't go that far on anybody. That's just personal <laughs> choice, though. Yeah, well, well, as you can see, Matt and I have uh, different views on, 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 on some of the classic uh, by, comic do by anybody by anybody i mean those troops of that day like i think i take three stooges over laurel and hardy and over abbott and costello um that's just me personally though well yes and i yes. like i like all those folks but well, if we well, were to rank them 
Well, the truth is, the truth is that Matt likes, you know, dealing out punishment. So uh, behind the scenes, you'll hear the clanking of a lead pipe hitting me in the head and me like, what, yo, wise guy, hey? You're saying I studied at the film school of Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, you, you definitely did. I, I, yeah, you're wise guy, eh? Yeah. You should send that audition tape to Sam Raimi. He'll probably hook you up with a job. I'll talk to him. Me and Sam. <laughs> so this uh, Laurel and Hardy movie, I really appreciated. Um, and I seek this out a little bit at, uh, way back when because, of course, you know what I mean, a John Cherry fan. You know, once I see in my whole my film deal of watching films, I went through a change a little bit where I was watching films because I was just straight up a fan of film. But then in my teenage years, I, you know, I would, if there was a a filmmaker that I appreciated, I would make sure to see all of their, you know, go buy. I went and bought their entire body of work so I could watch, study and, and know and appreciate and know what's good, what's bad, where mistakes were made and such with each filmmaker, you know what I mean? So I can get a good vibe of them. So like when I had to go finish off the collection of what I, you know, the, without er, not, not Ernest films of Jerry, this is the one that I, I seen this one, the pirate one. And I like this one a little bit more than the pirate one with Tim Curry. Um, but uh, that one's good too, but I like this one a little bit more. Maybe it's just because of the story ties me in a little bit more. Cause I am more interested in, you know, Laurel and Hardy, of course. I got a, I got a book of them behind me as well uh, that I've had forever. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, the all-new adventures of Laurel and Hardy in for La Love or Mummy. You know what I mean? But I enjoyed it. It had, uh, of course, um, what's his name? The longtime regular there, Gilliard Sertain. You know what I mean? And yeah, course, yeah. Who's, who's been in all of them. Uh, playing Hardy, and then of, and then your boy Bronson Pinchot, who's the man killing it. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, my, I gotta say, uh, Bronson Pinchot, I always think is so underrated, and yeah. is not used as much as he should be. I'm currently, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm currently rewatching Perfect Strangers as we speak. Uh, F. Mary Abraham's also in that classic uh, actor. Yeah. Now, the one thing that that as much as I love Bronson Pinchot. <clears throat> I will say this, that I do, I would, being an Ernest fan and a John Cherry fan, uh, Bronson Pinchot was great as Laurel, but I think any real Ernest fan out there is going to say that Billy Burge, dude, uh, who played Bobby, who was the right-hand man to Gilliard and all those Ernest movies would have been an incredible Laurel. But you know why they went with Pinchot, you know what I mean? He's a bigger name. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is, I mean, as, as uh, I've said that, you know, I've, I've, I, I know who you're talking about. I, I enjoy the Ernest movies. Now, from my memory, okay, I could be wrong. And, of course, uh, Matt will correct me on this. Did, uh, did he ever talk in, yeah. in, in the Ernest movies? Because from my memory... He was always, he had the goofy looks, but I don't think he really talked. He talked, the- but not often. He did talk, though. Burn him. Um, and Ernest goes to jail, he talks. Um, 
Okay. He talks and s- saves Christmas. The only one that he wasn't the the right that dude's right hand man in was Camp, I believe. And then maybe scared stupid. It was too. Uh, maybe scared stupid. It wasn't that the heavier dude wasn't there. I think there was somebody else there. But it was that. But it was Bill Burge was there. Okay. Um, well, I mean, either way, I it's. I mean, I will of course be talking more about this when I get farther up the list, but. I, and I'm not saying that the guy's not talented. He definitely did. And the whole kind of shtick that he and the other guy had in the Ernest movies were, was great. Right. But um, to be uh, to be Laurel, I mean, you, I mean, this is where I will give Bronson Pinchot a lot more credit, not just because of the name, mm-hmm. but because listening to him and watching him, he actually sounds like Laurel. And, and, and he... He went as far as doing the mannerisms and, and, and all of that to a point where he's probably the best interpretation of Laurel that I have seen. Right. And, of course, this is coming off of uh, there was a movie that came out not too long ago called Stan and, 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 uh, uh, Stan and Ollie. Okay, that had John C. Riley. And uh, I forget the other guy. He's he's a British actor. He's been in a lot of he's stuff. The dude, he's the director from Tropic Thunder. Yeah, he's the uh, yeah. I Coogan, think I think his last name is. He was in Hamlet too. Yeah. Uh, well, here's yeah, the thing. Escapes me too. Yeah, he 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 played Laurel uh, in 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 the Stan and Ollie uh, uh, biopic, and. He did a good job, but he... Steve Coogan, that's his name. Keith Coogan, okay. Steve, Steve. Steve. Oh, Steve Coogan, okay. Keith Coogan's our dude from... The- that's what I thought. I, I, I kept <laughs> on wanting to say Keith Coogan, and I was like, that's not it. Yeah. But Steve Coogan, okay. Here's the thing. He did a great job and gave a lot of character to the performance, but he did not, in my mind, physically sound or really become physically um, the Laurel character, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that he played a great uh, uh, job, but, you know, I still could see him playing Laurel and not Laurel. With Bronson Pinchot, I saw Laurel Hardy as, as, as close as you could get to Laurel. I mean, Bronson Pinchot doesn't look like Laurel Hardy, but he he got the mannerisms and the voice down to a point where I I could easily buy him as well. You could probably easily buy him for a film too. Uh, <laughs> he pops. He you know he's a he's a great actor. You know he's a dude that disappears a little bit. You see him pop up and stuff that isn't so. I we enjoyed this, but like I don't think this was this was a big success. You know what I mean? Um, he's also in like. Um, True romance, you know, he pops yeah. up in a lot of really cool stuff. Of course, Perfect Strangers from before. Um, he's one of those dudes, Langoliers. He's one of those dudes that just kind of uh, much love. Scare the-, the little girl. We need to get Bronson back. He was it. He. I remember during the, when I was sick a few years back. Uh, him and cousin Larry came fucking to one of the conventions locally within Massachusetts. Uh, 
and I fucking had to miss it because I was sick. But I would love to have gotten fucking something signed by the both of those or meet them, get a pick. That would have been legendary. Yeah, actually, um, I I I did end up going to that convention. It was only Bronson Pinchot. Uh, Larry wasn't there. I'm pretty. Po- it might have been a different con because I'm pretty positive that the, okay. they were like, unless he pulled out because they were like promoting it as having the perfect strangers at this thing, and it, maybe it was in New York. Maybe okay. it was somewhere close enough that we could have really won if we really wanted to. But um, I was sick, Doogie. Like, I would have pushed for it if I wasn't sick type deal. But, so, number nine. Number nine, huh? Yeah, nine. Number nine, what I got is Slam Dunk Ernest. Oh, my. I mean, uh, Slam Dunk Ernest, it was, it was enjoyable. It wasn't great. Um, I mean, it was, I think at the time, I don't know whether it was at the time or just uh, in the ballpark of being a teenager, but there was a lot of films where you had sports films where you brought in a comic character or comic actor and it was all about them, you know, fumbling, making the team hate them. And then, you know, at the end, they, he becomes the hero kind of deal. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of tired of that kind of motif. Mm-hmm. Plus, also, I wasn't really that much into sports movies unless it was like a, a sports drama movie like, Cruisers or Remember the Titans. Those kind of things I could get into, but a lot of the comedy sports movies I really did not like at the time. Yeah. Um, I think that's what probably kind of, you know, downplayed my, my enjoyment and, and, and like of the film. Uh, I mean, it was enjoyable. It had all this, uh, you know, the earnest jokes and, and and it was fun, but I just really never connect to it as much as the other Ernest movies. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I I agree with you. Uh, number nine was also Slam Dunk Ernest for me. Ooh, I knew it. I knew we had that uh, land on the on the same thing on one of these things. Yeah, I happen to think it's the weakest of the Ernest films myself. I mean, you get a cool Kareem Abdul-Jabbar cameo in there. Yeah. You got Miguel A. Nunez Jr. before he kind of was uh, a bigger deal, you know what I mean? Um, very cool. Uh, uh, I like. I think I might like it. I don't know why I said very cool. Um, very cool because it wasn't hot, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but I, I'd be very curious to go rewatch it now. To see how it stands up. Um, I haven't watched it in a while, but I'm just going by memory. Um, this one probably has, this one could, could quite possibly have some very not PC humor in it, which would make me laugh. Um, if I remember correctly, it revolves around Ernest getting magical shoes. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which right there alone should get a fucking Academy Award, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's I, I I don't know. When it comes to magic loot shoes, I can I can only uh I can only take um uh, uh Robin Williams flubber. Mainly because it's Robin Williams. See? Even even his bad stuff I, I, I can't 
hate too much. What about the Wizard of Oz? Well, the Wizard of Oz, there's there's a difference. You didn't have people bouncing around and all that. The magical shoes just was a little transport uh, transportation device from one reality to the other. I also think of uh, Pippi Longstocking when I think of magical shoes. She had magical shoes or thought she had magical hair? I I just remember them walking up like a wall after cleaning. Maybe it's like their imagination or whatever. Then they they, like walk out of a fucking orphanage on fire or something like that. Uh, I have to, I haven't, I haven't seen that. They walk down like the, the, like the side of the building. I don't know. I could be wrong. Pippi Long, (coughs) Pippi Longstocking, Pippi Longstocking, dude, that song is devastatingly great. And if you don't fucking get down with that song, you need fucking therapy in your life. Well, I guess I have to watch again. I have to admit, I I don't remember that much of it. I I think I saw it on TV like when I was a kid, but that's about it. I think it's like Pippi Longstocking coming into your world. That's like the beginning to it, I think. And it's like poppy in eighties, very eighties. <laughs> um, back when they made, back when like the theme song for the movie could quite possibly be better than the movie back in those days. <laughs> Nowadays, you don't get that. Yeah. Um, but I, which is what, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, because the movies are pretty bad, too. It's unfortunate. But I'd have to agree with you, number nine, Slam Dunk Ernest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Foul. Foul. I call foul on that. Um, it's, again, the Ernest movies are never really bad. They're just... Uh, Maybe a little disappointing. Like you don't not you don't stop loving them. You just go, well, I'm just a little disappointed in them. You know what I mean? But yeah, slam dunk was not a slam dunk, unfortunately. What you have for eight? Eight. Okay. Well, you know what about eight? I I have this urge. I have this urge to join the army. It's earnest in the army. Word up. Heck yeah. Um. Yeah, this one uh, I, I I definitely enjoyed, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It, it's I I kind of have a a soft spot when it comes to like uh, comedies or comedians in like an army or military kind of uh, situation. I mean I. I mean I love all the wartime uh, movies with Evan Costello and. And um, even Pauly Shore's uh, In the Army Now was, was, was probably one of his better films. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it definitely is not one of his best things, but it definitely it, it kept this uh, same kind of earnest, you know, um, a feel that I liked. And uh, I, definitely, I definitely enjoyed it. I'm with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk about that one a little bit, but before that, I get a pop. My number eight is uh, Ernest Goes to Africa. Ah. Um, very, very, like we said before, very bottom of the barrel, uh, getting towards the end of this vibe. Um, you know, the budget seemed to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, like I said before, I think that dude, I think Billy would have been uh, Laurel there if, uh, if they couldn't afford pinch it. But Ernest Goes to Africa, very uh, low budget, very weird and 
you know, Ernest is getting old. You, you, can, you know what I mean? Um, now, the one thing that I remember, a couple of things. I remember an alligator scene where alligator in his face, which always made me laugh because it was just like, it was that kid comedy that it's like, you see this gigantic alligator bigger than, you know, bigger than him roll up. You know, he's dead. Like, that's the, that's what, those are the things that make you laugh as an adult is being like, you're dead. You know what I mean? Um, there's, a, he, he does different uh races he plays different you know races in this film which i know would be frowned upon heavily nowadays you know what i mean and one thing that i remember back in the day i remember going wow at even when it came out not even to say political correctness now but i remember like when the there's like this tribe comes up to him and he's like hey what up homie dog and i remember being like just laughing hysterically at the madness of like what is going on, and that's even when it came out. You know what I mean? Um, so very, very um, ah, dude, Ernest, Ernest for president, baby. That's all I can say. <laughs> Ernest for president. So, uh, what you have for number seven? All right, number seven. I had Ernest rides again. Classic. Yeah, I picked uh, picked this one. Um, not only did I enjoy it, it's uh, pretty much the whole thing is Ernest uh, and going to England in the crown jewels and and all of that. I think it was it, it was a lot of fun, but the one of the reasons that this this movie gets as high up as it does is because of one line. Okay. Yes. Um. I, I, one of the kid characters in the movie turns to uh, Ernest and says, are you all right? And this is after he's been bounced around like we've seen a million times before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I forget the exact quote, but the quote goes along like, well, thank God that I'm I'm almost like a living cartoon. It's true. Okay. And that, that, that sums up the entire Ernest series that's, uh, and the Ernest character is the entire series is pretty much a live action Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why we like it. I mean, why do we watch, you know, Wiley e. Coyote try to blow up the, the Roadrunner with uh, all these weird acne gadgets? I mean, we know that it's not real. We know it's fake, but it's just funny seeing him try and try again and getting, you know, flattened and, and, and falling. And of course we know in reality that if you tried to do that, you'd get really hurt or maybe even killed. But Ernest himself and other than Jim Carrey, Ernest is the only other comedian that I know that has such elastic facial features that he was, he did seem like a real-life cartoon. So that's why, you know, he was able to do these movies and, and make you believe that he wasn't, that this wasn't a real world. This was a pretty much a live-action cartoon, and he really nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. That's yeah. a little, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Um, number seven for me, <coughs> Ernest in the Army. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was like, 
super low budget vibe to it. You know what? Watching the John Cherry, he has the style of like a Herschel Gordon Lewis, like those, you know, or maybe a little, maybe early Romero kind of deal where they all kind of have that vibe where you can tell they came from like, uh, on the public access type background in a way. And that's no disrespect, but everything's kind of shot almost standard. The stories are great, but the way they're shot are kind of Romero had a little more style. So I can't take from him. Um, but uh, I don't know if it's just because they let, they shoot it with style and they allow it to be, you know, the widescreen to be chopped for like a TV full, full frame format. I don't know what it is, but they all have that weird kind of, um, vibe to it um but Ernest in the army you know at the, at, that's right up there with Africa where it's just like very like to say not needed would be kind of hateful towards it but I remember this is definitely in the this definitely isn't your golden era Ernest for sure this is more the brown era Ernest um but I will say what I liked about this there's one moment in this that sticks out to me uh, that made me laugh heavy as a kid or la- laugh heavy as a heavy kid is <laughs> um, there's a part where like he's, he plays this super duper trooper and there's like a car that's got all these missiles all over it. But the best part of it is when he's talking about how bad the bone he is, he has some, I can't even quote the line, but he, he performed, he performs it uh, devastatingly. Uh, check it out where he says, if you, like if you don't do what he tells you to do, he's gonna cut your guts out with a rock. I know that. I always remembered that with him, where he's like, it's he's having an infomercial and he's talking about how like how good everything is, and then he goes drastically dark at the end, which I always thought was great. And I just remember him talking about cutting out someone's guts with a rock, and I remember being like, this is an earnest movie. I think some of those later movies. They started maybe, I don't know, pushing the envelope because they know the audience was getting older. But, you know, I'll cut your guts out with a rock. I, I remember being, I, we were, that was like my early teens for that when we were late, like I said, it was the later years. And I remember just hearing that being like, okay, <laughs> there you go. Like, I'm all about that. Like, that was put in there for a bad Fisher type kid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ernest in the Army is definitely, uh, and I, by this point, you know, in Africa, you're kind of, you're kind of going, Jim Varney looking, starting, he's starting to look pretty old and stuff. And, you know, one of the things when we were, when I was talking to John Cherry about that documentary, he was telling me how he had all this, he had all this old footage from making the movies that uh, was never used, never seen. So I was so excited to get that. And, um, and I think some of that footage was the, the uh, Ernest the Pirate movie, because I know that when I talked to him about Ernest the Pirate, he said that enough of the movie was shot to be released. Like, it could actually be wrapped up. That's how much of it was shot. But it just won't happen because Jim's gone. And, you know, the logistics of it, you know what I mean? How are you going to put it? You know what I mean? Um, so, and he was really sick. He said that he did look really sick in that. Um I believe he wore a wig because he didn't have any hair uh, during that, during the shooting of that, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, so there, I always wanted to see that. That's kind of like one of, you know, as a film fan, there's a couple of Holy Grails out there that I would love to get my hands on. Um, 
One of them is the footage, the, the, the long lost footage of Ernest the Pirate, which I could have, it's one of those regrets that even if the, even if we got, even if I would love to, even if the documentary never even got to happen, just to have been able to see that footage would have been devastating. And I would have begged them to let the world see that footage somehow too. So, you know, everybody blamed the universe that me and John Cherry weren't able to give that to you folks. You know what I mean? Cause who knows where that footage ended up now? It's probably, I don't know. Now that he's no longer with us, I know we had a family, but I don't know what their take is with stuff like that. You know what I mean? How they feel about that stuff. Um, but yeah, that would have been really cool to see the pirate flick. Um, number six, Alexander the Hot. All right, number six, I am going to break with convention. Okay? This is a movie that does not have Ernest. Does not have Jim Farney. This movie has Tim Curry. Now, you must say, also, you know, John Cherry was in Ernest in the the Army as the sergeant. I just wanted to bring that comment out again. But Tim Curry, oh my goodness, I think I know where you're going with this. Yes, yes, yes. And since Matt was talking about pirates, this is Pirates of the Plain. Of course. And of course, I know you're probably being like, what are you talking about? This doesn't, I don't know this movie. What what is this weird, you know, uh, movie that uh, does not have Ernest in it? but has the one and only Tim Curry. Um, now, I remember seeing this movie, like, it was on TV, uh, and it was so odd. It was so out of the left field in in the fact, literally, because the idea was yeah, you have this kid that lives in, I don't know, Kansas, or somewhere where it's it's plains, it's flat, it's far away from the ocean and something happens and Tim Curry, who's a pirate gets transported from, you know, 18, whatever to this little farmhouse uh, in the middle of, of nowhere. And he ends up befriending the kid and, 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 and they start bonding and it's the typical fish out of water kind of story. And then somehow the rival pirate ship, or the ship that got mutinied by his own men, I forget. I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. But they also get transported to the farmhouse. Okay, so you have this, imagine this, okay, a pirate ship, okay, in the middle of a a field, a flat field far away from any kind of water, Shooting cannonballs at this little firehouse, and just the concept and 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 the idea of it within itself. Plus, you have the the great Tim Curry, and Tim Curry has this gift, and that is no matter what role he is playing, he plays it with so much devilish charm that you can't help but love love it. Whether the movie is great or not, it it's so much fun just seeing him chewing up the scenery, playing this. I mean, on paper, it's a ridiculous concept. Wait, wait, we're having 
18, 18th century pirates battling in the middle of like a Kansas plain. Okay? But it works. It's, it's so much fun. And it is bonkers. And, and that's, that's why I, I had to, had to give it, you know, at least up to number six, uh, a bit of love on that. Yeah, I can't hate on it. You know what I mean? It's what it's just, it, it didn't quite, <clears throat> like I said, I did watch it. Um, that one was super duper low budget. It felt like the whole thing was green screened. It felt like, um, like, uh, like, uh, like a chant something you had to catch on channel two, like in between Sesame street and something else. You know what I mean? Um, which is probably what it was going for. You know what I mean? Uh, he, but like I said, I liked it or I shouldn't say I liked it. I, I, I let it live, dude. I let it live. <laughs> I take it out of the DVD player. I didn't snap it over my knee. Um, I'm being kind because of John, because of John, you know what I mean? But uh, it's not a terrible movie. It's, it's, it's definitely not at this point in the game. He definitely was not making movies for my mind anymore. You know what I mean? And I just got to appreciate that those films were already made for me. You know what I mean? And this was for a newer uh, generation, but you know, Tim Curry's the man. He's always killing it. Um, just to see that collaboration is nice. You know what I mean? Um, so I didn't quit, didn't make my top 10 list, but it did, it, 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 it didn't make it someplace in my heart and mind. You know what I mean? That's all I can really say for it. Um, next up, I'd have to go with my number six. My number six is uh, Dr. Otto and the Moonbeam. <laughs> ah. Are you familiar with this film? Uh, to be perfectly honest, no. This, now, this, this, this is one that missed, missed, uh, missed me. Yeah, what I say? Moonbeam, uh, Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam. I was lost my mind for a second. That's uh, okay. We, we forgive you. I hope so. This is a film that was uh, 1985 is when he did it. I think this was the sec. This I think was his first feature length uh, deal. Um, now this was hard. To, this isn't something you can just go get at the store. This was very hard to get. I had to hunt this down through eBay uh, on VHS. Um, um, but I I own it to this day. Very funky movie. You know, you just definitely got the John Cherry vibe. Um. He play. It's just kind of a mixture, a weird, crazy story, um, you know, where Jim Varney plays Dr. Otto, who's this dude who has a hand on his head, and he's kind of like just, just a supervillain. He's like a wild, zany supervillain, and um, the whole story is just madness, which is kind of the whole vibe of Ernest, I think. And, um, you know, a lot of his the fun characters, you'd see him doing little him himself as little cameos and in films later on or in here or like uh, interpretations of them, you know, how in every film he does, he, you know, he plays like the grandmother, you know, that he plays the hillbilly, you know, there's a lot of different things. Um, you know, a lot of them are in this, uh, Dr. Otto is such a fun and weird character. You know, the hand over the head is so, 
it's weird. Like I remember when I first seen a picture of it, I had, I, that's why I was like, I gotta get this movie. I was like, I gotta fucking watch this movie. I gotta see what this is all about. And uh, I don't know if it's gotten easier to get in the future. I don't think it ever got like an official DVD or Blu-ray release. Um, like I said, I have a VHS of it that I had to fucking hunt down, hunting down. And I, I want to say, I want to say I had to pay like 20, 30 bucks for it. It was no easy. It was no like cheap feat, so to speak for VHS. And I bought this. Yeah. Years, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, for sure. More, more than that at this point. I had this for fucking, yeah. Long time ago. I had to get in the early days of eBay is when I grabbed this up. But yeah, this was a very fun watch for anybody out there that enjoys Ernest or John Cherry or Jim Varney, you know, in general, of course, how could you not? Definitely, uh, you should try and seek out this little lost gem because if you enjoy, if you enjoy what John Cherry and Jim Varney have brought you in the past, then go deeper into the past and watch this film. And I think you'd really appreciate it. But you um, have, yeah. Actually, it's it's funny because uh, since we were talking, I thought I'd check it out. And actually, uh, according to this, you should be able to get either a DVD or go into Prime Video to watch it. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they also have like a VHS tape you can get in some other stuff. But, uh, yeah, go, I mean... Go check out Amazon because I mean, at least according to this, I mean, I didn't, you know, click on it to buy anything, but uh, it they do have it listed as you can get on Amazon. I just took a peek real quick. You can watch it for, for uh, on Freevee, which is kind of like a I think it's commercials, but yeah, if you want to, it's broken up into segments. So the fact that it's commercials isn't that isn't that this isn't a big deal. You might even get lost in what's what's the commercial and what's the movie. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, check that out. And, Hawk, you checked out. I'm curious your opinion behind the scenes. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, it's definitely one that missed uh, me when it came out, but I'll definitely check it out. Cool. All right, homie, what do you have for Number Thieves? Number five is a film we talked about that, again, does not have Mr. Varney in it, and that is... Laurel and Hardy. Ooh. Now, um, I really like that. I like it. I mean, it does have its problems. It doesn't always hit the mark. But what I liked about it is the fact that you could tell that, first of all, John Cherry is a Laurel and Hardy fan. Okay? You can tell the love for the material by how it's put together and who he had to play the roles. Now, Bronson Pinchot and the other gentlemen, I thought, really, really did a good job uh, playing these versions of Laurel and Hardy. And it was interesting seeing them in more of a modern setting. Of course, this is set up at a museum. You've got the typical mummy horror element added to it. And, well, the movie itself didn't do so well when it came out and had a lot of mixed reviews. A lot of people didn't really get into it. And and, and it's a shame because I think there's a lot of great film, a lot of great um, comic duos that a lot of people don't 
either know about or take the time to learn about because too many people, you know, get in, get in the mindset that if it's an older, a different decade a type of movie that it can't, they can't relate to it because they're not in that time. But see, that's one of the things that I love about like Laurel and Hardy, Abba Costello, and even the Three Stooges is that the humor in it is so timeless that you can pop in a Laurel Hardy movie or a Buster Keaton movie and watch it and know nothing about the time period or the stuff going on and still enjoy it and still laugh. And I really enjoyed that movie uh, for that reason, was the fact that it was obvious that John Cherry had love for these type of of films, these type of characters, hence why you look at the Ernest movies, and he uses that kind of style in his movies. He was a guy who was trying to bring that style from the 40s up to like the current style now. And uh, that's that's why I really did enjoy the movie. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm with you. I'm with you, dude. Peace to um, your mother. Words to your mother, kid. Words yeah. to your mother. <clears throat> All right. Um, number five? Well, uh, yeah, number five, yeah. Well, number five for me would be Ernest Rides Again, my friend, not too far away from where uh, you're at. This one, you know, madness. To talk about madness is an understatement. You know, you'll really, I wish I asked John where these ideas came from for some of these movies like Ernest Rides Again. You know what I mean? Um, now, Ernest Rides Again, I think was the break off. I think it was the last. Um, I don't think, I wouldn't put it like in there. I think there's kind of a holy grail uh, trinity of of Ernest films, maybe even four that are really great. And then I think it starts to trickle down. Um, I think that this is a middle world, maybe the middle ground. I think this one and goes to school are like when they jump the shark. And I, I think that, you know, I think like camp scared, stupid jail saves Christmas are, are, are the masterpieces of the bunch. I think that's a whole bracket to itself. I think then you slide into the middle ground, which is rides again and goes to school. I think that those are very fun, which goes to school is the only one that wasn't directed by Cherry. Um, Sam uh, Coke Sam's the dude who wrote, um, wrote a lot of, um, you know, the films with him. Um, got to direct that one and it was very fun you know it, it was kind of a switch up in directing style a little bit you know what i mean you could tell that there was somebody new behind the camera so to speak i felt um but i i uh, i like school's not i like school like i said at that and and ride together kind of the middle and then it goes into those other films which is you know army and africa and slam dunk that's the third tier of Ernest films um, from going best to worst. You know what I mean? But could there re- really be a worst Ernest film? I really don't think there can be a worst Ernest film. I think as long as Jim Varney's in it, 
Um, it can't be a bad Ernest film because he just brings so much of different things to it. Whether you're looking for physical comedy or actually, you know, jokey comedy, you know, you, even if you're just paying attention to his faces, you're going to be entertained. You're going to catch a laugh or two off of the weird faces he makes. That's how great he was. You know what I mean? But, uh, rides again, you know, it's, it's fun. It's the last of the real kind of fun ones, fun rides. Um, I would put rides again before school, um, but I do put them hand in hand right next to each other. And maybe on a different day of the week, I could put school before it. That's how close they are. But uh, rides again, I enjoyed. And I think that was the beginning of the end for the Ernest franchise. Um, what do you have for number four? I have for number four, goes to camp. Yep. I mean, I I enjoyed it. Uh, it's definitely um, uh, goes to camp, and uh, the other ones that I'm going to list are. Uh, I think that Matt uh, Matt has already made a comment about kind of the holy trinity of of well, actually four yeah. of of earnest we, movies we, that we, really, really hit the mark. Yeah. Yeah. And goes to camp. I I enjoyed. Um, and while I enjoyed it, it just didn't really stick with me as some of the others. It was one that when it was on TV, I'd watch it and I'd, I'd laugh, I'd giggle. But then, you know, if something came up, I would, you know, walk away, do something. It, it just never really, for whatever reason, you know, kept me to a point where I had to finish watching it. I think the main thing was... I really didn't connect to any of the kid characters in the film. And while the film, of course, is a Jim Farney film, and you're mainly watching it for Jim, I did think the kids kind of took a little bit away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing against them, the kid, the kid actors, and, you know, I don't know uh, where they ended up going in life, but none of them really just, they all kind of annoyed me, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, but, uh, but everything with Jim Barney was gold. Yeah, Jim Barney's gold, man. He's a golden child. Forget about Eddie Murphy. You know what I mean? Heck yeah. All right, number four. Number four for your boy over here is, now we're getting into that quadrilogy of greatness. And, uh, Number four for that is Ernest Goes to Jail. Uh, (laughs) Ernest Goes to Jail is a lot of fun. You know, the pen gag automatically pops into my mind, dude. The lobster. (laughs) Um, You know, you got... You got both of you know both of uh, the, the the fat and the and the and the thin dudes in this, which is killing it. This had Texas Cobb or Ty Cobb, whatever the dude's name was, the actor yeah. who I remember here, the dude who da da who told me the story about Jim Varney actually told me a story about uh, that Cobb dude uh, that he was bad to the bone. He must have been at that party or whatever, um, but he said he was bad to the bone, and he also had a story about Hulk Hogan where how him and his friend went to the airport because they knew Hulk Hogan was coming. And they said they kept walking back and forth and bumping into Hulk Hogan, trying to start beef. 
You know what I mean? This is madness. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, Dodd did enjoy to partake in substances like big bowls of good cocaine from Jim Varney's bedroom. You know what I mean? But Ernest goes to jail. Uh, fantastic, dude. Fantastic. There was still money in the bowl to make these films, you can tell. Um, he, the magnetic Ernest. You know what I mean? I love the whole flip of how bad Ernest comes in the picture. That's great. There's so many really cool, you know, all the stuff at the banks, really cool with him, him on the buffer, on the sailing and shit. Um, really fun movie. You know, Ernest, this is like the heart, you know, these these four Ernest movies, the last four Ernest movies I'm going to tap into are fucking why Ernest will live on forever. You know what I mean? Okay. What, uh, what do you got for number four? Number four. Uh, oh, I already did number four. You mean number three? Oh, number three, my bad. Yeah, you started. No problem. Number three, Ernest Saves Christmas. Woo! Woo! Classic. Yes, it definitely is a classic. Definitely. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna agree with you because I have Ernest Saves Christmas for my number three. So we'll just openly talk about Ernest Saves Christmas. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um. The thing is that it's a lot of fun. Um, I do, of course, uh, have two more that stick with me uh, for the, the fact that uh, they just, uh, they're the earnest movies that I just, I, I, I love enough that, you know, watch all the way through. Under uh, Saves Christmas is one of those. Yeah. But the other two, you know, really. I have a very big soft spot for those, and I'll talk later about that. Cool. But with uh, the Saves Christmas, it's it's a lot of fun. It's funny. Um, it's it's there's so many funny Christmas movies where you have the comical character. You have to save Christmas. I mean, hack Tim Allen with uh, Santa Claus movies where he has to you know take over. For Santa Claus, because Santa Claus dies on his roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of a common trope to find a comedian and find a way to make a Christmas movie about him. And this this worked on so many levels. And Ernest just he literally saves Christmas because you, know, you you keep on rooting for him. Sometimes in these things. You're watching it, and you're like, "Why? Why do I care?" And uh, I mean, like, um, deck the halls, and I know this is going to upset my boy, Matthew Fisher. Yeah, A Christmas with the Cracks. Both of those movies, I couldn't care less what happened to them. I mean, the whole Matthew Broderick competing with Danny DeVito, and then you know. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Tim Allen. The, those movies, I actually didn't care uh, whether they succeeded or not. In Ernest Saves Christmas, I cared. I was rooting for Ernest throughout the movie, and that's why I gave it number three. Ernest Saves Christmas is the essential Christmas movie for me. I have to watch it every year. I always end up watching Christmas Vacation as well because that's on TV. I wish Ernest was played 24-7 somewhere. It should be. If Boombastic ever has a TV station, you best believe 24-7 Ernest uh, saves Christmas. 
on Christmas Day, uh, maybe even Christmas Eve as well. Um, you, go, you go to his house on Christmas Day, all you hear is Ernest Saves Christmas in the background. Like, you know, the film's great. From just the opening, you know, Ernest had some of the greatest openings in the music of all time. And, you know, the opening, too, with the Christmas card type, you know, almost Coca-Cola type um, promotional, you know, opening credit sequence, you know, it just, and it goes right into it. Um, fantastic. I remember at the time of this, I was dating that Noel Parker girl that starred in this. That was, you know, um, <laughs> unfortunately, I, yeah, I broke her heart later in life. That, that mon- my pet monster, she gave me that on set that day. I remember <laughs> very nice of her. She was a sweetheart. Um, but yeah, dude, like, you know, Billy Bird was in this, the, the nice old lady that is in everything, rest in peace. I think she's no longer there. Oliver Clark's in it. Um, Douglas Seal, you know, back when they were getting budgets, I think they were had they were able to get these other good actors in it to support Varney, you know, plus they could put the, the production value was there a little bit more. It looks like the cinematographer had a little more style and such. Um, yeah, these first four films are heavyweight, um, in, in my childhood for sure. But yeah, Ernest, there's, it's got the more, the, the morale to it. I love how it even taps into a little bit of horror at one point where it goes, they go to the movie set. Um, and just, it's very, I love it. I think it's great. You know what I mean? It's a very weird, quirky, you know, the two dudes, uh, are great in it. They play like, um, they play dudes at like a uh, like a UPS like like a mail where they collect like delivery station type vibe and they get the reindeer in a box and some of the some of their most golden moments of those two um, come from saves uh, saves Christmas in jail for sure. Them in jail is phenomenal because they're like crazy gun people and like. I remember, like, the, the toaster pop pops up and, like, Pop-Tarts come out and the big one's like, burn them! And Bobby just fucking takes out this, like, Desert Eagle fucking and, like, blows it apart. Um, I love those characters. Great characters. Uh, if Matt Fisher and Alexander Hawk were dealing with real money, you would see cameo, those two playing brothers and <laughs> small cameo appearances and stuff. That's how great those two are. But Ernest Saves Christmas is a staple of fucking Christmas for me. You know what I mean? And in the franchise, the artwork is awesome. All around great film. I really love it. Number three. No, that's why it's my numero third Reno. You know what I mean? That's why it takes that trace spot, baby. Um, number dose, Alexander Hick. Well, you know, I don't know if we can talk about number two. Seriously, I don't know because every time I talk about number two, I'm just... Scared Stupid! Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Ernest Scared Stupid. Um, this, first of all, I love this movie to death. Yeah. And, uh, the, I mean, the, the trolls in this film yeah. is one of the best... I guess supernatural villains in any kind of sure, of yeah. movie. I I they 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 they're grotesque. They're ugly, but yet oddly enough, you can almost believe that that if these troll if if trolls exist, these are the trolls you're going to meet. 
okay? For the longest time as a kid, if someone said, hey, Alex, tell me what a troll looks like, I'd be trying to sketch out one of these trolls. I mean, that's kind of like imprinted in my, my mind. Agreed. Ernest is hilarious. Um, as I said before, I mean, comedy and horror has, has always gone together. And, and it, it, like going back to Abacuselmi's Frankenstein and Hold Your Ghost and all those old classic uh, films where you have comedians dealing with, you know, spooky or supernatural situations. Um, which I think John Cherry really took inspiration from, updated it, and then threw Ernest in. And honestly, it is funny from beginning to end. I love every aspect of this movie. It is definitely one of my favorites and uh, definitely deserves the number two spot. For sure, for sure. Uh, my number dose, uh, the original Ernest film of all time, Ernest Goes to Camp. Um, a great kickoff to the whole series. You know, um, I thought it was great, dude. You know, he goes and he saves a camp for anybody out there that doesn't know. It's a camp. You know, he's, he's put in charge of this group of misfits, you know what I mean? Which is another, you know, I think that it, the misfit touch was nice. I think a lot of misfits got down with Ernest, you know what I mean? Uh, and right from the get-go. You know what I mean? Uh, they're doing it big. You know, the great John Vernon, Mr. Big himself, is in this. Um, I believe the Native American chief just passed away. Rest in peace. You know what I mean? Uh, Body by Jake. Big brother Jake dude, uh, is in this, I believe. Uh, has beef at one point. Um, but, you know, don't fuck with Mustafa. He'll put you in the grave. That's all I got to say about that. So best behave. Uh, Ernest goes to camp. I have the poster for this. That's how legendary it is. I need to I need to follow up and get more Ernest posters before they get rarer and rarer. Um, but I loved Ernest goes to camp. You know, and th- this was the first one that I seen. That's why I kind of number one's number one for a reason with me. We'll get into that, but it's a very close, very close to this one. Ernest goes to camp. Um, magnificent. I love it for so many different reasons. You know, great gags in there. I know, you know, the, getting the, getting the, getting the, the tray into the face and informing around him is great. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I remember the, there's a gag where he's sharpening a knife on like, a, a one of the stones and he's talking about you slice it. You want to do it this way, you know, and hold it this way. And you see the blade slide right down. So chopping, it goes right through the hand, the meat in the hand. And he cuts his hand and then he goes, hey, what's that over there? And the kids look and he goes, does some of that physical comedy that he does so great. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of great stuff. Emotion for days in it, too. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to the Ernest character because he was just so pure and life would beat him down. And I think everybody's seen a little bit of themselves in that. And there's a moment in the film where he does this song where he goes, sings, I sure am glad it's raining. So no one can see my tears. And it's fucking beautiful. It's like, you're very taken up, taken by surprise. The fact that you're hearing something so beautiful in an earnest film, but it's kind of like the heart of earnest 
Like, that's why it was so successful, because, like, he's not just a dummy, you know what I mean? Like, on paper, he's a dummy, but Jim Varney really brought the heart to that character and make, made you love him, you know what I mean? So, what, you know, he's just a lovable, you know, lovable uh, dude who uh, finds himself in unfortunate situations. Um but Ernest goes to camp, fucking classic, almost number one. Uh, when I get into number one, uh, it, it's more so, but number one's more so because it matched up two things that were huge to me as a kid and still are. That's why number one's number one to me. But well, Alexander Hawk, I, I, I think I know what number one is. I, th- I, I think I do, but I'm very curious of your number one because unless I'm, I, I have a couple ideas of what it could be. You know what I mean? What I think, but um, what is your number one? Why do you love your number one? My number one is you ready? You're yeah. holding on, okay? Sometimes you gotta go. Sometimes you gotta go to jail. Oh, jail. Ernest goes to jail. Now, now the thing is, the reason it is my number one. Uh, is the fact that now we've seen, you know, Ernest movies and he plays a lot of different characters, okay? He plays the old grandmother. He plays, you know, uh, uh, the the funny redneck and all that. Rednecks, yeah. But what makes this is the fact that he plays not only the Ernest character we know and love, but he also plays his doppelganger, a villainous bad guy, in jail. Yeah. And and the reason this movie is my number one is the fact that you get the true depth of Varney's ability. Yeah. Okay? You get him to spread uh, spread out the most than any of the other Ernest films. Because, yeah, he plays Ernest and all these other characters for laughs, but he is truly menacing as his character in the uh, the villain in uh, Ernest Goes to Jail. Yeah. I, and plus also, I think this was the first Ernest movie I actually saw. Interesting, okay. And plus also, just going with the list of gags, the magnetism after he gets uh, the electric chair. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, uh, the 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 buffer that you know sends him all over the bank. Okay. I mean, it's is the the pen gag. I mean, it's it is the epitome of what I think. Just and and of course the two comical you know uh, uh, security guards with him. I mean this movie, in my opinion, ha- hits all of the marks of a good earnest movie. You got uh, Varney playing multiple characters very well. You got those two comical uh, sidekick characters, and you got these comical slapstick things. That you know is Looney Tunish is the best way for me to to explain it, and it is an epitome of a great live action cartoon. Yeah, 
And what I love, it especially, is when he's playing the villain and he's trying to pretend to be earnest. And there's points where, you know, he's talking to the girl or someone and they say something where, you know, his first reaction as the villain is to beat the shit out of him or something like that. And you see him just, you know, holding it back because he knows he has to play this, this, little pissant of a man that's just just the idea of him being this little you know you know uh, fungus on society just pisses him off yeah but the honestly best performance love the movie i agree fantastic film absolutely fantastical film dude i can um numero uno for me man can I guess? You can guess if you think you got it. I think I think that my pal Matt just loves to be scared stupid. Well, I was going to go with Denton Rose's Paranormal Levitation trip. Damn, <laughs> shit, man. I, I thought I had it, but go Shout ahead. Shout out Denton Rose. <laughs> Much love Denton Rose. Shout out. Um... But I'm going to have to get, yeah, you're right, homie. You're right. Ernest Scared Stupid. Now, Ernest Scared Stupid does it for me on two levels because it's an earnest movie, which I love, of course. But it's Ernest tapping into the horror roots. You know what I mean? Um, and like Alexandra said before, those trolls are those trolls are million-dollar bills right there. Those trolls really worked for kids for a kid's comedy. Those trolls are fucking super duper effective. They're fun when they need to be. They're scary when they need to be. It's a goofball movie. You know what I mean? Creepy. And, you know, I remember being a kid watching that and being creeped out by the troll and not wanting to fucking have to deal with it if it was reality. Um, the treehouse was something I think every kid that's seen it wanted as a kid. I never really had a treehouse. They, they seem cool. Uh, one day I'll have a treehouse. You know what I mean? I'm going to have an adult treehouse one day, and it's going to be devastation. Um, and Ernest Scared Stupid will screen there once a year at least on Halloween. It'll be nice. Um, fantastic, though. You know, it's got a super, superb lineup. You know what I mean? All the kids that were likable. I didn't even hate the kids. Usually you hate kids in movies. So they pulled that off pretty well. You know what I mean? Uh, Eartha Kitt, you know what I mean? As old lady Hackmore, she was in it. That's kind of their cameo. You know, they try to get cameos from different places, um, you know, in, in certain things, you know, in different places, but in certain things that she was in everything, you know, all the way back to Boomerang, she the holes, Emperor's New Groove, Dode, Disney, you know, she was like a Disney queen doing it, uh, killing it from back in the 40s all the way up, just do it, destroying it. Uh, her character was cool, a little bit wicked up in there, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, sadly, this is the one where I think, uh, Billy Bird came back there, but I don't believe uh, I don't believe uh, uh, Gar Garland there came back. Our boy G Land didn't come back uh, to reprise his role, uh, which is very sad. Now this one right here was it's probably an interesting take because this one is the out of uh, the, out of the top four, uh, the golden era. This is the fourth one. You know what I mean? Like this is number four. It went camp jail, Christmas, and then 
uh, Scared Stupid, and then Rides Again, if I remember correctly. And, you know, they kind of hit their... But maybe it's just the fact that I love horror so much is why I hold this one up so high, you know what I mean, in a number one spot. Um, as someone who, you know, you like horror, but you're not a big horror fan. And, you know, where was this on your list? Number two. Oh, it was number two. So, yeah, it, it's, they, this might have been their, their, this might have been their masterpiece, if you will. You know what I mean? Like their creme de la creme uh, collaboration project. This might have been when they, you know, they, it, it would make sense because as great as those first three are, well, they, you know, I guess I can say the, as great as the first one is, the first one you could tell is really made uh, like the style of it's more commercial looking than it is. And then it started up by, you know, goes to jail and Christmas. It was having more of a cinematic look, you know what I mean? But the first one has a cinematic look, but it, it you know, it definitely still has those commercial vibes to it. So I think by the time they got to scared stupid, I think everybody was fully in their element of knowing, knowing what they're doing in the film world. You know what I mean? And the crossover and Jim Varney knew exactly who Ernest was, you know what I mean? And everybody was right on track. Um, you know, you had the team was writing this one. I think for, uh, you know, for jail, I think, I, I don't think, I think that was two outside writers completely. I don't think that was uh, Coke Sam's or fucking Cherry that wrote it. I wonder if they came up with the story or whatever, but I think there's a completely different team of writers, which right there could tell you it's a great film. Um, but at that point, they were just hiring out, you know, into the biz, so to speak. But Scared Stupid's great. Um, the Miak, you know, it's even got the message of love at the end. You know what I mean? When, when all those, when all those, when they all start coming forward, that they, there was some truly horrifying stuff as a kid. It's almost like a PG version of demon night. When all the demons start <laughs> coming, <laughs> coming up from the ground, yeah. um, you know, uh, the joke in this one that always, that I love so much was when uh, he sees the pods and he's like, he's like pretty soon. Uh, the kids ain't going to be worried about eating their Brussels sprouts. They're going to have to worry about the Brussels sprouts eating them. Uh, <laughs> he, he says that the rim shot, the dog in the truck. And I remember that was a big laugh. Uh, that was a great one. But yeah, overall, I thought it was really fantastic. I really liked it a lot. So hell yeah, man. John Cherry, Doogie, doing it big, you know, rest in peace for sure. Left behind a body of work that is uh, magnificente. You know what I mean? Terrific, terrifico. The, the body of work that John Cherry left behind, uh, definitely, definitely, you need to push that forward. You got kids, push it to your kids. You got niece and nephews, push it to your niece and nephews. Um, it's middle of the road, fair game, children comedy. You know what I mean? There ain't no agendas. It's just kind of raw kind of entertainment you know what i mean and adults like it too like i said i still rock it every now and then i put it on there to get to stay young you know what i mean well well i mean it, it does help for the fact that you do have a mind of a two-year-old i do i drink blood of, of buffaloes fresh <laughs> out of the womb too 
That's the thing. If you drink the blood of a buffalo fresh out of the womb, you got to be there, though. So travel gets expensive. But if you can drink that blood, it makes you look young. That's where I get it. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, Cherry, uh, he, and like like we said, he created the first viral sensation, which was Ernest. And he was smart enough to see what he had and then, you know, go with it. And and tapping into the, you know, the styles of the silent movie eras and other classic uh, film styles and, and doing the mashups with Christmas, with Halloween and so forth and so on, he had a good run. I mean, not all of them were, you know, home runs, but he gave us, gave us some uh, great films for our childhood. And as this list proves, some were home runs to others and, Grand slams to the next man. You know what I mean? Heck yeah. So with that being said, again, uh, rest in peace to John Cherry. Um, you know, bravo. The influence has been felt. It's here forever. And uh, rest in peace. And for everybody out there that ain't resting in peace, we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace. Peace.